The scripture reading this morning is from Luke 1, verses 26 to 38. The angel Gabriel was sent by God to a town in Galilee called Nazareth to a virgin engaged to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. The virgin's name was Mary. He came to her and said, Greetings, favored one. The Lord is with you. But she was much perplexed by his words and pondered what sort of greeting this might be. The angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And now you will conceive in your womb and bear a son. You will name him Jesus. He will be great. He will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his ancestor David. He will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. Mary said to the angel, How can this be, since I am a virgin? The angel said to her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore the child to be born will be holy. He will be called Son of God. And now your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son. This is the sixth month for her who is said to be barren. For nothing will be impossible with God. Then Mary said, Here I am, the servant of the Lord. Let it be with me according to your word. Then the angel departed from her. The word of God for the people of God. A few days ago, I was having coffee with some, uh, with some Flint area pastors. It's something that I really missed during the pandemic. It's something that, that pastors in the area used to do a lot uh, back, in the, back in the olden days. We started doing that again. And so I was drinking coffee with some pastors. We were talking about ministry and kicking around ideas for sermons. And as we were talking, I learned something that I didn't know. I was talking to Pastor Brian Willingham. Uh, pastor Willingham is a, a pastor who serves two United Methodist congregations in, in our community. He serves the Christ United Methodist Church in Burton, and he also serves Bristol United Methodist Church down by the Carmen Ainsworth Middle School. And I knew, I had known that before he was a pastor, Pastor Brian was a law enforcement officer here in, in the city of Flint. What I didn't know is that before that, before he was a law enforcement officer, Pastor Brian was in the army. I said, really? He said, yeah. He said, in fact, he said, I was in Germany back in the 1980s. He said, I was in West Berlin when the Berlin Wall came down. And, and that took our conversation off in a whole new direction. We all started reminiscing and sharing our memories and our stories of that moment in history. And as we were talking about that, that moment in history, one of the other pastors shook his head and he said, you know, he said, one day I was talking to my kids about the Berlin Wall and I was, I was trying to explain to them what it was and what it was about. And he said, they didn't believe me. He said, they thought I was making it up. They said, Dad, you can't just drop a big wall in the middle of a city and then tell people that they're not allowed to go across to the other side. They said, that's silly. They, they thought I was fibbing. But of course, that's exactly what happened. In 1961, the Politburo, the, 
the government of communist East Germany decided to build a giant wall to cut off West Berlin from East Berlin. And so they built this wall that was more than 100 miles long. The concrete section of the wall stretched for 66 miles. And all along the wall, there were checkpoints and there were towers. And in the towers, there were soldiers and the soldiers had machine guns. And in front of the wall, on the, on the eastern side of the wall, there was this strip of land that was called the death zone. And the soldiers in the towers had orders that they were supposed to open fire on anybody who wandered out into the death zone. Over the years, as many as 200 people were killed trying to sneak across the wall into West Berlin. And now that the wall has been gone for longer than it was standing, our memories of that moment in history are starting to fade. The stories of that time are starting to be forgotten. I hope that doesn't happen. I hope we don't forget the stories of that moment, that time in history. I especially hope that we don't lose the story of what happened the day that the wall came down. Do you remember what happened on November 9th, 1989? Do you know the story of what happened that day? In 1989, the communist governments of Eastern Europe were under intense economic pressure. Governments in places like Poland were crumbling. Borders in communist nations like Hungary were being opened. There were refugees who were seeking to make their way from Eastern Europe to Western Europe. But the Politburo, the the government of communist East Germany, was bound and determined to hold on to power for just as long as they possibly could. Even so, there were thousands of people demonstrating, tens of thousands of people protesting in the streets. And so they knew, the Politburo knew that they were going to have to give the people something. They were going to have to do something to relieve the pressure. And so on November 9th, 1989, the Politburo got together and they had a meeting and they came up with a plan. They came up with a very careful, a very limited plan for some loosening of travel restrictions across the wall. They came up with a plan that would have allowed some refugees to cross over the wall into West Berlin. They came up with a plan that would have allowed some people to travel back and forth across the wall for business and for other purposes, for visiting family. They came up with this very careful this very limited sort of a plan, and they decided that the changes were going to go into effect on November 10th, on the next day. They figured that would give them time to brief the guards at the checkpoints and to fill in the soldiers in the towers about the changes that were going to happen. And that night they held a press conference to let the people of East Berlin know about these changes, and this is where they made a mistake. Because the spokesperson for the Politburo was a man named, a politician named Gunter Schlabowski. And Gunter hadn't been in any of the meetings where they were coming up with all of these plans. Gunter hadn't been briefed on all of the details of the plans. In fact, he only got his notes for the press conference just a few minutes before the conference was supposed to begin. And then suddenly the cameras were rolling. And so he read this very confusing in rambling, in bureaucratic sort of announcement, and it was clear that there were some changes being made on the travel restrictions, but it wasn't really clear what they were. And then a reporter asked Gunter a question. The reporter said, and when do these changes go into effect? And Gunter thought for a moment, and he shuffled his notes, and then he looked at the camera, and he said, well, he said, I guess they take effect immediately. 
And there was a moment of confusion all across East Berlin as people who were watching the evening news tried to process and understand what they had just heard, what had happened. And then suddenly, all at once, that confusion turned to jubilation as people all throughout the city suddenly and simultaneously came to the conclusion that the wall had just been erased, that all travel restrictions had just been lifted. And so people en masse poured out of their houses and started making their way towards the wall. And this is the moment when everything could have gone horribly wrong. Because nobody had told the guards at the checkpoints. Nobody had told the soldiers in the towers that there were changes on the way. And so as this mass of people was moving towards the wall, the guards and the soldiers were frantically telephoning their superiors, trying to figure out what they were supposed to do. Their orders had not changed. Their orders were still to open fire on anybody who set foot in the death zone. And all it would have taken is one fearful impulse. All it would have taken is one twitch of a trigger at any of the checkpoints, at any of the towers stretched along that 66-mile section of wall. And history would have taken a very different turn. Today, we would be talking about the East Berlin Massacre of 1989. But that's not what happened. Instead, a miracle happened. All along that wall, at every checkpoint and in every tower, every single guard, every last one of them, all of them together at the very same time made the same decision. They all to a one decided to put up their weapons. They all to a one decided to disobey their orders. They all to a one decided to hold their fire and let the people come. And that's what the people did. The people swarmed to the wall. And then they swarmed through the wall, and then they swarmed over the wall, and then they started taking apart and dismantling the wall. And I think about that moment a lot. I think about that moment on those days when it feels like this world is stuck and the powers of this world are going to hold on forever. I think about that moment whenever I need a reminder that God's Holy Spirit suddenly picks a moment, comes into this world, tweaks and nudges human hearts in a way that suddenly sends history spinning off in a new direction. I think about that moment when I need a reminder of the power of God's Holy Spirit to suddenly do something new and unexpected in this world. That's what today's gospel reading is about. Today's gospel reading is about the power of God's Holy Spirit to suddenly do something new and unexpected in this world. Our reading this morning, our story this morning, is a very familiar story. It's a story that we tell every year at this time. There's a young woman. Her name is Mary. Mary is engaged to be married, but she isn't married yet. The gospel goes out of its way to let us know that Mary is a virgin. Three times in the space of a single paragraph, the gospel writer reminds us that Mary is a virgin. But then one day an angel comes and the angel speaks to Mary. The angel says, greetings, favored one. The Lord is with you. Do not be afraid. And then the angel makes an announcement. 
The angel says, Mary, you have been chosen to play a crucial role in God's plan to save this world. You will give birth to the Messiah. The power of God's Holy Spirit will come upon you, and you will give birth to the one who will heal the nations. And Mary rejoices as she wonders at the words that the angel has said. It's a familiar story. And for many of us, it's also a very troubling and a very difficult story. A few years ago, I remember a member of the church made an appointment to talk to me, and he sat in my office, and he said, Pastor, I have a confession to make. He said, you know the part of the Apostles' Creed where we say, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary? He said, I've heard it. I know how it goes. He said, well, well, when we get to that point on Sunday morning, when we talk about conceived by the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary, he said, I move my lips, but I don't say the words. He said, for some reason, this story, the story of the virgin birth of Jesus has always been the point where my faith gets stuck. He said, I don't have any trouble believing that Jesus walked on water. I don't have any trouble believing that Jesus fed the multitudes with a handful of bread. I don't have any trouble believing that Jesus was raised from the dead. But for some reason, this story causes me to struggle and have doubts. And what I want to know is, does that make me a bad Christian? Should I resign my church membership? Now that you know, do you have to kick me out of the church? That was the question that he asked. And that wasn't the first time I've been asked that question. The thing is, I, I had had that conversation before. I had spoken to other people who had sat in that very chair and made the very same confession to me. In my years of ministry, one of the things I've discovered is that for many of us, this, this is the story that causes us to struggle. This is the story that causes us to have doubts. I'd had that conversation before, and so I knew exactly what I wanted to say. I said exactly what I said in that position before. I said, here's the thing about this story of the virgin birth of Jesus. Jesus never mentions it, not once in all of the sermons that he preaches and all of the parables and teachings that he gives to the crowds. Jesus never once mentions the circumstances of his birth. Not once does Jesus look at the people and say, if any of you would be my disciples, you must take up your cross and follow me. And also you have to believe that my mom was a virgin when I was born. Jesus never says that. And not once in any of his letters does the Apostle Paul mention this story or this teaching of the church. From the pages of Scripture, you couldn't prove that the Apostle Paul had even heard this story. And it is hard to say that something is an essential part of the Christian faith when we can't even say for sure that the Apostle Paul had heard of it. I said to this person as he was sitting in my office, I suspect that Jesus cares a lot more about whether we feed the hungry and turn the other cheek than about whether we believe every point of the Apostles' Creed or whether we believe the story of the virgin birth of Jesus. And he was relieved to hear that. He was relieved to hear that he didn't have to resign his membership and stop coming to worship. Maybe some of you here today, this morning, are relieved 
are relieved to hear that. But now here's the thing. Before you go telling all of your friends this afternoon, do you know what my pastor said in worship this morning? <laughs> my pastor said, we don't need the Apostles' Creed anymore and, and like this whole Christmas thing, man. I don't, I don't need to believe. But before you go telling stories about what happened in worship this morning, here's what you need to know. Everything I just said will be very controversial to some people. I had a conversation with a pastor where I shared what I had said in that conversation, and he was furious. He lit into me. He accused me of leading people astray. He accused me of, of leading the church away, away from the one true faith. And he said, Pastor, we have to hold on to the story of the virgin birth of Jesus. How else will we be able to tell people how important sexual purity is to God? How else will we be able to tell people how important it is to God that people, that people practice chastity and that they're virgins when they get married? Oh, he was angry. And I said to him, Pastor, I feel like maybe you missed the point of this story. I don't believe this story is about sexual purity. I don't believe this story is about the importance of chastity and, and being a virgin until the day that you get married. I said, I love this story. I've never had any problem with the story of the virgin birth. I hold on to this story in my heart for one simple reason. I love this story because there are moments when it seems like this world is stuck. Sometimes it feels like we keep on reading the same headlines in the papers today that we were reading 10 years ago, 20 years ago, and 30 years ago. The Israelis and the Palestinians are fighting again. Russia is attacking Ukraine again. The rights of women and people of color and the LGBTQ community are being called into question and threatened again. And in those moments when it feels like this world is stuck, in those moments when it feels like the powers of this world are just going to hold on forever, I need this story because I need to believe that God's Holy Spirit can come into this world in a way that is not bound by the laws of cause and effect. I need to believe that God's Holy Spirit could come into this world in a way that is not bound by the laws of history, that is not caught up in the same cycles of action and reaction and vengeance and violence that so often consume this world. I need to believe, and because of this story, I do believe that God's Holy Spirit can suddenly come into this world, come into our hearts, and do a new and unprecedented thing. And suddenly history goes spinning off in a completely unexpected direction and walls that have stood for decades come tumbling down. Let's pray. God, give us the awe and the wonder that filled the heart of Mary when she heard about your plan to turn this world upside down. God, help us to believe that the miracle you worked in the hearts of people all along that wall in 1989 can happen in this world again. That hearts that are filled with thoughts of war can suddenly turn towards peace. That walls can be erased. That we can meet our neighbors in a way that reflects the joy and the wonder and the love of your kingdom. God, you've done it before, and today we pray that you would do it again. In Jesus we ask. Amen.